I was waiting for that booger to end. It was creeping me out. I had to make sure I get my knife. It's, it's October, you know. Yeah. Everybody doing good? Good. Turn to your neighbor, ask them how they're doing. Somebody, people around you. Say, how are you doing over there? Everybody, everybody still doing good? Okay, that's good. Good. Well, I am glad that you're here today. You're looking good today. Man, how many love this weather? Yeah. Well, enjoy it. We got about a week of it. <laughs> It'll turn winter. But yeah, I do too. I'm, I'm ready. I worked outside yesterday and didn't even die sweating or anything like that. It was just it's beautiful being able to do some things around. Uh, it, it always, during the change of season, uh, it always makes me reflect. When Michael got up here and started talking about the Christmas and stuff, it, it reminds me that it always makes me think about how incredible God designed everything, that the seasons just change on their own. Isn't that incredible? Like, guys, this, I don't think he's up there pushing button like it's time for fall, you know. We'll, we'll, we'll chance Oklahoma in two weeks, you know, get, that's all the fall they'll get. No, I think it's, you know, all the different things he put into existence. It's incredible the way the seasons change, the way the trees know it weeks and months in advance, and the animals are migrating and all that kind of stuff. And it always just reminds me that, you know what, God's got a plan. God's got a plan. Sometimes we forget and it's the little things like the seasons in nature that reminds us, hey, God's got a plan, and you're a part of this. And so today we start a new series. If you have your orange bulletin, it'd be a great series to take notes on. Um, it's called Clickbait. Clickbait. How many knows what clickbait is? Oh, yeah. Clickbait on the internet is, are the things that the internet knows you're going to click. Or most people will click. There are, there are algorithms behind those websites that let us know, like, hey, you need to lose 412 pounds in 60 minutes? Here's how. You know, that kind of thing. And you click it like I want it to, you know. Uh, or, or the ones that say, you know, she walked into the store and what she did next was shocking. You know, okay, I got to find out. You know, and you click that. Uh, but believe it or not, Satan's been doing that since man's been around. There's been clickbait in our life that because of how we live and what we do and all the different habits of our life that, that the enemy knows that's our clickbait. How many of you know we live with an enemy in our life? Now, let me just say, greater is he that is in me, in you, than he that's in the world. Let's start there. But that doesn't mean that the facts don't exist. The facts exist that, like Jesus said in John 10... The thief comes, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He doesn't want to bruise you on the jaw. He wants to ridicule you and destroy your life, and you have to be careful of that. You have to watch out for clickbait in your life. I love the rest of that verse, though. Jesus said, but I have come to give you life. And today, what I want to do to start this series out, we're going to tackle a subject I think covers everybody on some level, and the subject is fear. We want to cover fear because fear hits us in a lot of different ways. Fear hits us just in a physical sense, but sometimes it hits us in a very emotional sense. And we, we smell something or we walk into a room and see somebody and just emotionally we can feel the fear in our life. And when, when we uh, don't know how to handle fear in our life, it can derail you. Could I get an Amen. It can really change the course of your life. And, and I know that now through people that are friends of mine and, and family members in the church, but I also know that from reading scripture. You look at, you know, God came to Jonah 
and said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and, and speak to them and get them on the right track. And he was so scared because those were the Assyrians. Those are people that skinned you alive if they didn't like you. Those are the people that would skewer you and hang you up on their wall. Can you imagine why Jonah didn't want to go? Yeah, I, me neither, Lord. Can't you pick John over here? Like, he loves to go. Jonah allowed that fear, that physical fear, to steer his life. And he ended up going, you know, the, you know the story, but God ended up correcting some paths that he took and got him there anyways. But it's all through Scripture. Abraham and Sarah, God said, you know what? Even in your old age, you're going to be the, the foundation of Israel. You're going to give birth. And they were so afraid because of the physical limitations. Let that settle in for a minute. Because of their physical limitations, their fear took over, and they tried to help God out, speed up the process. And can I just be honest with you? Today, the Middle East, the reason we deal with what we're dealing with over there is because of Abraham and Sarah. Because of Ishmael, that firstborn that was not supposed to be the firstborn, and then Isaac, the one that was. God said, from now on, because of that disobedience, there will be enmity, there will be pressure, there will be trouble between you two. From now on. Hey, let me just reiterate. Can I tell you that fear is very important to learn how to handle it? You can change your family tree from now on. And I don't want that for us. And so today I'm going to approach this subject a little bit different. I'm going to approach it instead of giving you four ways to overcome fear. I'm going to show you one way to work through everything and I'm going to apply it to fear. How about that? So that, that first point in your notes, this is, this is the whole point of, of today's message. I want to teach us and help us to learn how to pray through our fears. And I'm going to take you through a famous prayer. One of the first ones in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 3. But, but here's why. I want us, it's so easy to come to church and get what you need for the moment. Does that make sense? Like, man, that worship was incredible. That's exactly what they were singing about. It's what I was needing today. It was just like a fresh, you know, sit in the hot tub. It was great. Or what Pastor Michael said about, you know, welcoming everybody. That's exactly what I needed to hear. Or whatever the message is, that's what I needed to hear for the moment. But can I tell you that those people, you already know this, but those people will not follow you through Thursday when everything crashes in life. And you have to have the tools in life to say, I got this. I know how to handle this on Thursday, even though I'm not in church, right? And, and that's what I want us to do today. And, and here's why. Here's one of my favorite scriptures about that in 2 Timothy 3.16. It's a good one to remember because it's like John 3.16, but it's over in 2 Timothy 3.16. Y'all see how my mind's working now? And it says this, that all scripture, and let me just reiterate for a second. When, when Paul wrote this letter, the second letter to Timothy, he wasn't talking about the New Testament. He was talking about the Old Testament. And you know how I know that? Because the New Testament wasn't written yet. He was saying all Scripture, everything that God has breathed, everything is useful. And listen to what he says. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So it's useful for about everything in life for right living in righteousness so that the servant of God or anyone that attends South Point, that translates in Hebrew, I don't know if you knew that or not, that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's why it's important for us to learn to take Scripture and apply it to today's life. Amen? Because that's, why God, that's how God designed it. I'm going to speak things to Jonah 
that you can take 3,000 years later and apply it to your life in contemporary United States. I'm going to speak things to Sarah 2,000 years ago that you can take and apply it to your life right now. It's useful for everything in life for right living. And that's why I want to start with that. And let's start, I want to start with Psalm 3. And really, when you look at the division of the Psalms, it's super interesting the way they put them together. Psalms was um, not put together till toward the end of the Old Testament, when they were putting the Old Testament together. I won't get into all that, but it has five different sections, and the first two psalms are really introductions. So Psalm 3 that we're going to start with today is really the first psalm in the first section, and it's stuck in the place that it's stuck into for a reason, for this very reason that we're talking about today, to teach us how to address our fears. Why would you start with fear in the book of Psalms? I thought Psalm was like, it's poems and it's songs about how great God is. Why would we start with fear? Every single baby that comes out of the womb has been in that womb for nine months. It's been nice and warm. It's been dark. It's had room service. You don't have to do anything. Nobody's messing with you. You're yelling at you. It's just all just nice and comfortable. And then all of a sudden, at about... Nine months, you know what happens, that nature forces that baby out, and all of a sudden it goes from nice and warm to cold doctor, you know, hospital room, and there are people touching it and cleaning it and wiping its eyes out and vacuuming its mouth and its ears, and it cuts off its food supply and turns it around and spanks it. Do they spank babies anymore? I don't know. But the first thing you feel, the first emotion that we feel is freak out fear. First thing that we enter life with. And if you're not careful and you don't know how to rank, learn how to wrangle that fear, that will also be the last emotion you feel. But if we learn how to wrangle fear in our life and don't let it dictate our course, don't let it dictate our actions, then we can be the ones that dictate our course and our actions according to what God's leading us to do. That's, what I'm, that's what's important about this today. So David, let me, let me read you the, the introduction. If you have it in your Bible, I think we have all of this on the screen today. But it says this, Psalms 3 is a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom. And let me set it up for you just a little bit. This is really toward the end of David's reign. He's not done yet, but Absalom, his son, was mad about something David didn't do uh, Started talking and gossiping, got a bunch of people to follow him, and was ready to fight David for the kingdom. But instead of fighting, David fled. He didn't want to fight his own son. He fled, and he's hiding out with a few of his, with a few of his army guys and his counselors and that kind of stuff. He's got a small group of people with him, but there are thousands and thousands of the, his old military that are searching for him. That there, there needs to be some consequences, they say, for this action he didn't take. So that's the setup for this. And then David starts in, and the first thing he does, he identifies the source of his fear. Listen to this. It says this, uh, verse number one, Lord. And when it's in all caps like that, that's the translation back to Yahweh. That's what they're saying. They're not, if it was capital L and then lowercase O-R-D, that means like a landlord, some, somebody that would own land that we're talking about. But when it's all caps, that is the Lord. That's God that they're talking about. He's saying, Lord. How many are my foes? How many will rise against me? And many are saying, God will not deliver him. Whew. So he starts off. Let, let me just set the foundation. He's got two problems here. One, there are thousands of people, armed soldiers that are looking for him. Physically, he's in a lot of trouble. 
Physically, he knows that if I get caught, there's going to be some consequences. But can I tell you what's even more important to that? Was that last part that he said. He said, many are saying. Can you believe this? Like, so David is getting chased by military that could kill him. And yet, right a close second, what he says is, many are saying. He, he's worried about the gossip. He's worried about what people are talking about. And he says, many are saying God will not deliver him. Yeah, he, if you know the story of David, you know that he's used to a little bit of this, right? He's used to, uh, if you want to pull the sword, let's get after it. I know God's going to be with him. But he's not used to people saying God won't deliver him. He's not used to the propaganda that's coming. And can I tell you, the second thing I want you to get today is understand Remember when I said the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy? He's not just going to make you mad. He wants to rip the carpet out from under your feet. He wants you to fall and want it to be rough. Fears often attack our identity. You see, David grew up. Remember, he, he had a little identity problem in the beginning. When Samuel showed up at his house and wanted to anoint one of the sons as king, future king over Israel. And Jesse, his dad, calls in all of the brothers except David. And he calls in David. At the very end, he's the runt, and God anoints him as king. And he goes from runt to, to king and learns to put his trust in God. He learns to do that, but somewhere along the way, David started taking the gifts that God gave him. He was super tough. Wouldn't you love to like, that be one of the gifts God gave you? I can just whoop anybody. That's not as relevant today. I understand that. I'd have to relocate somewhere to live that out but that that's for me and that's like the superman like yes God, it's like solomon or samson you know that he could just take a donkey's jawbone and just beat the whole army to death i mean that he could win for god that's the way i would classify it winning for god and but somewhere along the way david started thinking instead of how great god is for taking the runt and making him a king he started thinking about how great i am for being the king how great i am for whooping everybody. How great I am for being so tough. How great I am for winning all of these battles. How great I am for ushering Israel into the, a new level of holiness and goodness and economic and all this kind of stuff. And if you look at David's life somewhere around Bathsheba, where he has an affair with Bathsheba, his life starts coming apart. And that's where he ends up in this. That's, we, we get to hear it after this. So remember, as before we move on to verse 3, remember that it's not uncommon when your fears attack your identity. Maybe, maybe at work I'm not good. Maybe I'm not good at making deals. Maybe I'm not good at helping people. Maybe I'm not good at seeing what should be done. Because so-and-so so got a promotion or so-and-so got uh, a raise other than me. Whatever the situation is, they attack who we are. And that's why it's important for our identity to be in Christ and not the gifts that he gave us in Christ. Do you get that? It's very easy for us to do. Verse 3 goes on like this. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head. But, but you, God. This is, this is super important for me because, you, you know, David starts off and he's starting off and said, man, there's thousands of people after me. How long are you going to let this keep going on, Lord? I mean, there, there's bad things going to happen. Plus, they're talking bad about me out of all the things. Plus, they're talking bad about me. But David, listen, can, let me just stop, restate for a minute. 
Learning to pray through our fears is crucial for overcoming our fears. That's what David's doing here. He's taking the problem to God. He's already tried to do it himself. If you've ever tried to do it yourself and then found out it didn't work and then took it to God, how about a mm-hmm? Yeah. David's already tried that and it, it hadn't worked. And now he's praying through and he gets to this and he says, but you, oh God. He, there's, there's a turn that's happening in David's spirit, in his flesh, in his mind, in his thinking. But you, oh God, you're a shield about me. He's moving his attention from the sources of his trouble to God, the solution of his trouble. Isn't that good that you get to see that in the words? You get to see him writing that down. You're a shield about me. And what's great is, you you think about a shield, that's something for David that was in everyday life. He's used to fighting with a shield. But his shield was only, I mean, I'm guessing, only covered the front. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it wasn't a 360. But he's relating that to God and he's saying, you, God, you're a shield that goes all the way around me. You're a shield around me. A shield, here's what's really cool, though. As you look into this, you realize a shield doesn't stop the battle from happening. But it protects your vitals, right? You may get Nick on the arm or on the leg, but the shield is there to protect the heart and the mind. It's to protect you from dying. And I think it's super important for us to have the correct shield around us. Listen, it's very easy. Remember what David just wrote in the last one? He's talking about people are talking about him. And he's used to relying on these gifts that God has given him. But what's happening is he's realizing the gifts all came from you. He says, the shield around me is what's kept me safe. And then the next words, check this out. This, this isn't as like piece-by-piece to-do message. This is a very inward message. This is a very internalizing message. You get to see some of David's thinking, and I hope what it's doing is relating to some of your thinking in the past, my thinking. David says, I'm realizing that you're the shield around me, and you're my glory. See, when I, when I see where David has been in his life and the successes that he's made, and now starting with Bathsheba, starting to un- come uncrocheted, and now with uh, uh, Absalom, his son, he's running for his life, he's hiding, and he says, but God, you're my glory. And can I tell you that if we're not careful for us to not get in this spot, if we're not careful, the gifts that God has given us can actually turn into our glory and pull completely away from what God has done in our life. You see, I I get to see, like, for example, some of our band members. I love some of our band members that when when they first started attending, I didn't know they sang. I didn't know they played the instrument. They just were a part of the audience, didn't even know their name. And then I started to know their name, and they introduced themselves to somebody in the band, and somebody in the band said, you ought to play or you ought to sing with us. And it's amazing, like, just the last couple of weeks, we were talking about a couple of our band members that can sing, write songs, play multiple instruments, and I was like, I got none of that talent. Like, look how talented they are. I mean, they can play four and five instruments and some of those really classy, cool instruments, you know, not drums. That's the only instrument I play. You know what drums are? Drums are two sticks and some barrels. Is that really an instrument? I play them. That's the reason I'm asking. Sorry, Tyler, whoever, our amazing drummer that we have. But what, what I'm saying is, when I read this, I get scared. I get cautious. I, I try to learn from somebody else's mistakes and say, Lord, don't let the gifts that you have given them or me or us 
ever interfere with our relationship. Don't ever let it think that that's my glory, that that's for me to take on. Everybody look at Scott. Look what Scott can do. Isn't Scott great? Everybody say, Scott. You're not really supposed to say that, but anyways. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? It's really easy. And how many of you have seen that in somebody? You know, preachers are a really good experiment of that. You just go on the internet somewhere and watch some of these churches. And I love it because when they start, now most of them are great, but every now and then you get to see this example and you get to learn from it. And they start, it's all about God. They're so excited to be where they are. And then you look back 10 years down the line and it's all about them and the kingdom they're building and by their stuff. And, and, I, and I'm really, that's between them and God. I'm not knocking them, but what I see is, what I see is as I'm praying through my fear. I see David said, Lord, remind me that you're my shield. Remind me that you're my glory. And that last part, remind me that you are the one that lifts my head up. And what's great is, you understand, like, that's, a, that's an encouragement line. He said, remind me that you're, you're the one. You're the one, capital O. You're the one, the only one that it really sticks with. You're the one that encourages me. You're the one that fans into flame the gifts of God that you've put inside of me. You're the one that gives me direction. You're the one that lights my path. You're the one that's a lamp to my feet. You're the one that is iron sharpening iron. You're, the, you're, you're all of it to me. And, and he goes on. It's so good as he's praying through his spirit. It goes on in, in verse number four, and he says this. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. His, his entire prayer now is changing. His entire prayer is going from those people chasing me, and they're talking bad about me. What, why, is he, why is he talking about God so much? He's returning to his right spot. He's exchanging his fears for what God gives him, the shield about him, the glory, his encouragement he's given him. And he says, you know what? I'm going to call out to you, God. I'm going to call out to you because my, the, the military guys that, that I've been raised with, they're with Absalom. My counselors that I pay well, they're with Absalom. You know who's never left me? I'm going to call out to God who, who is on the high mountain and will answer to me. And can I tell you, this is a great illustration for his life, and this will translate to your life. Because when he says up on the high mountain, if you go to Jerusalem, the highest point of Jerusalem is where the temple is. David built that temple. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. It was a tent before David. David built the temple, and he was used to taking things to the temple to get sacrificed for that so God could hear him. To remove sin out of my life, to cover over sin, I'm going to take my sacrifice to the temple so that God will hear me. And he's crying out and he's saying, God, I'm going to call out to you. He's reiterating, what happens when you get fearful? Let me, let's play a game real quick. Don't say it out loud. But what makes you fearful in life? What is a fear of yours? Think about that. How often do you take that to God? It was funny when I was thinking through this because there's not a lot of things that like really scare me. Like, you know, like snakes or spiders or those kind of things. What's funny is one of the things that scare me are some, some types of heights. They scare me. Like I can go up in a plane, elevators on a building, all that kind of stuff. But if, I, if I'm on some rickety 30-foot scaffolding, my whole body just locks up. Freaks me out. If I go up on a lift, I, I will tell myself, you're going to do this. You're tough enough. You're strong enough. You're mentally having a fortitude. And back there when we ran a wire back there a couple of years ago, I went up. 
And, and the, the staff's looking at me. They're just watching me. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. And I have to go up to the, the black line where it's painted with the beige up there. And I got about five feet from it. I'm like, no, I got it. I got it. And I'm holding on. Like, if you could squeeze metal in, in two, I would have done it. I kept thinking, it's going to be like a, a superhero or something. You're going to actually see it, like, squirt through my fingers in a minute. And I just, I would ease it like six inches, and the whole scissor lift would just shake, and I would just relax. And I thought, I'm not scared of anything in my life like this. Why am I scared of this? And I'd bump it a little bit, and it would go up, and they're just dying, laughing. They're throwing tape at me, you know, all... Should be praying and helping me, but, you know, just, and as God is my witness, I probably spent 10 minutes up there and finally went down and the youth pastor said, just let me do it. I could have already had it done by now. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm going down. It's amazing how fear can debilitate you. Like, you like I'm coach. like, there's two of me. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's one, like, you sissy, you go up. You just suck it up, and you push that lever, and you go, and I, mm, no, keep pushing it. Mm, you know, like, that, and you can't, there's some, there's some types of fear in your life. Can I, can I say this without being sacrilegious? I think God rigged it that way. There's some types of fear in our lives that you can't pep, your, pep talk yourself through. There's some types of fear in your life, things that happen, and you may not even have been aware of it before it happened, but it just stops you in your tracks. And you have to say, Lord, you're my shield. You're, you're my glory. You're the one that lifts my head, and I'm going to call out to you. I was thinking about this, and I thought, how funny would it have been in the auditorium, in the church, if up there I would have just said, hey, guys, will y'all just pray for me real quick? I'm going to see if I can get past this. And just prayed to get over my heights issue. Now, if I can be honest with you, I've prayed over that many times. Never worked yet. And I think, I think sometimes God just says, I've rigged a world where you can't overcome everything. So you have to bring it to me, and you have to realize I am the capital L-O-R-D. And I'm the Lord of your life. And if you don't fall under that authority, then you end up being afraid and allowing your fear to dictate your direction. The third and final point is this, to remember who's in charge. David said, I'm going to call out to you. I'm not going to call any reinforcements. I'm not going to call any more military people. I'm not going to call my counselors. I'm going to call out to you. And I'm going to ask that you, Lord, you, from your mountain, you would rescue me. He goes on, verse Verse 5, listen to how his tone is changing. Verse 5, it says, I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. How many have ever been in one of those times when you would have given every dime you had just to be able to sleep? Isn't that what fear does in our lives? I've been through, I don't know, half a dozen things in my life when I thought, I'm not going to die of this. I'm going to die of no sleep because I can't sleep. You'd be dead tired and go to sleep at 11 o'clock and 1.30 wake up and mind racing 100 miles an hour thinking about all the what could happen. And David says, I lie down and sleep. Why did he include that in there? Because he knows exactly how you feel. I got to sleep tonight and it wasn't even a bonus. God woke me up. God gives me life. You see how he's redirecting when you're praying through your, praying through your fears, how he's redirecting all of your energy? He's redirecting the thoughts of David. He goes on, verse 6, I will not fear. Everybody say, not fear. 
What, what's going on? Okay, let me read verse 1 again. Lord, how many are my foes? How many will rise against me? And then in verse 6, he's saying, I will not fear. I think if I read those all together, like all six verses, it would take me about 30 seconds. Church, how important is prayer in your life? Can I, can I tell you something? There's, there's an old saying that says, sometimes prayer will move the heart of God. But every time, it will move the heart of the one praying. You realize in 30 seconds, David is moved enough, he's scared enough that he writes down this psalm. And yet 30 seconds later, he's going, you know what? I've reminded myself. I've reminded myself that God's my shield. That God lets me sleep and wakes me up. That God's my source. God's my glory. You know what? I'm not even going to fear anymore. He's talked himself out of it. Or better words, maybe he prayed himself through it. The very fear that's waking him up. Verse 7 says, Arise, Lord, deliver me. My God, strike my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. I love this. Seven verses before David's freaking out. Now he's giving God advice how to kill his enemies. Isn't that great? What's, what's amazing about that, and I'll tell you before we end, that he never raised a hand against Absalom. He's, he's praying about it. He's praying through his fears, but he never raised a hand against Absalom. In fact, he told the guys that were with him, his military, don't kill my son. It's the reason I left. I didn't want to kill my son. Can I tell you what happened? If you don't know the story, David left the kingdom, left Jerusalem. And one day Absalom, in all of his arrogance, he was totally wrong for doing what he was doing. He had long flowing hair is what it said. And he saw some of David's military guys out on the hill, just kind of checking out what was going on. So he decided he was going to ride out and kill him. And he went off by himself, and he rode under a big tree, is what the Bible tells us. And his hair got caught in a branch, and his horse drove out from under him. And he's hanging in that tree. And the couple of military scouts took him out. David was super upset about that. You know why he was upset about that? Because he says it in the last one. Verse 8. From the Lord comes deliverance. And may your blessing be on your people. You see, if you're chasing after fear in your life, if you're letting fear dictate everything in your life, if you're letting it decide what you click on the internet, what you purchase, how you, how you pray, how you spend your evenings, letting it keep you awake at night, it's not giving God the opportunity to come and deliver you from your fear. David worked his way through the fear, prayed his way back to God, and was even upset at his soldiers for killing Absalom because he said that God was going to take care of that. I think, I think God took care of it. David went back to his kingdom, had an opportunity to turn it over correctly to one of his other sons. But can I tell you, there's so many things in these little eight verses that teach us about our relationship with God. Maybe, maybe something in Psalm 3 stood out to you today in this 30 minutes. Maybe you've exchanged the glory of God in your life for your glory. Maybe it's misplaced some glory there. Maybe there's some fear that you've allowed to direct how you think, how you act. Listen, that's all of us. I'm not harping on anybody. That's all of us. 
The difference is what we do with it. It attacks everybody. The difference is what we do with it. And so today, here's how I want to end this today. Each of us praying a totally different prayer. I'm going to pray. Pray for my fears in my life. And I want you to think about that right now. What is it that, and it may be something for this season in your life, or it may be a lifelong fear in your life. Can I tell you that I know the one who is the shield about us? I know the one who is actually our glory and not us. I know the one who encourages us, who the one that calls out and rescues us. And I believe that he'll do that today. I've been excited to share this psalm with you because I think it's something you can take in for the rest of your life. Learn how to take God's word and apply it to the very thing you're going through in life. Let's do that now. Let's take the things in our life, maybe that one or two fears, and let's just say, Lord, no longer, no longer will I fear. I'm going to give it to you and let you be my shield. Let you be my glory. Can we do that? Lord, we're so thankful for you, Jesus, today. So thankful for you. We pray, Lord, today these would not just be eight verses out of your scripture, but this would be eight lines of life and direction and purpose and help for each of us. God, I'm so thankful that David was bold enough to write down what he was struggling with and how he got through it. I'm so thankful that David prayed through the things that brought fear into his life. And Lord, today we do the same thing. We take these fears in our life. You know the fears. There's a couple of fears, Lord, that I have that relationships that I work so hard on in, in my family. I pray that you would help me not to fear with that, but to continually turn that over to you, to trust you, to allow you to be the shield that protects my vitals, the way I think, the way I feel, that you are a shield all around me. And that, God, you would be my glory when amazing things happen, that I wouldn't take credit for that, but I would understand that it's you working in our life. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room that as we struggle with things in our life, we wouldn't let them rob us of our sleep, rob us of our direction, rob us of our love for you. But just as the song we sang earlier says that we would run to the Father, that we would pray through our fears, that we would realize that you're our encouragement, you're our strength, you're our hope. Lord, today we give you our fears. We give you our fears. We give them to you. Teach us in these next few hours, in these next few days, to release what you do not intend for us to hold on to and to take up the encouragement from you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing that song one more time, and I want to encourage you just to stand and to give him the things that you struggle with with fear and allow him to come in and set the glory straight. Can we do that?